kind of stole my thunder. I was going to open up with prayer. Uh, that's okay. <laughs> that's okay. Yeah, my name is uh, Pastor Tyler Cronkright. I get to serve as the associate pastor at uh, Family of God Lutheran Church in Southwest Detroit, one of uh, your many uh, local co- uh, partner congregations. Um, I also get to serve as the associate pastor at St. Stephen Lutheran Church, which is also uh, in Southwest Detroit, about a mile and a half away. So the commute between the two, uh, I could walk, I could ride my bike, I could skip, I could do whatever you want to do to get there. It's very short, uh, which makes it a, lo- a lot easier. And I, before, we, before we dive into uh, what I wanted to talk about today, I do want to just kind of give you an update on kind of what Family of God has been doing. Uh, a lot of you have actually been down there, been a part of the mission, and I want to uh, update you on that. Uh, and then I'm going to briefly talk about um, the Loot Clinic, which is one of our, one of our, one of our partners, uh, which is who you're going to be helping and serving today with this sermon event after service. Uh, and then we'll, type, we'll dive into a text. I will hopefully uh, bring you Jesus in a way that convicts you and makes you alive. That's always a preacher's goal. Um, and then we'll celebrate what God has done in our lives by serving others. So um, just, again, I, I mentioned that, that uh, we're in a dual parish agreement. So if you're unfamiliar with those Lutheran terms, uh, the dual parish agreement is that uh, two churches essentially share one pastor, or in our case, they share two pastors. So back in August, uh, Pastor Hill and myself were installed as the associate pastor and the senior pastor at St. Stephen. So now Pastor Hill and I serve as the pastors at Family of God and at St. Stephen. So why would, why would we add more work onto what we're already doing, right? Well, part of that is because our vision, our goal, is, bec- is that we want to be a network of churches in our community. Uh, we're in the southwest side of Detroit where there are all kinds of people. All kinds of people. They are everywhere. And one of the reasons that we wanted to to do this is because we wanted to have different churches, different options for people, whether they're close to family of God, whether they're down by by where St. Stephen is, or our third uh, congregation that we just planted last year, which is actually in Clark Park, uh, in in partnership with Old West Bethlehem Lutheran Church, and then we call that Refuge Church at Clark Park. So we usually get about 10 to 15 people there, uh, homeless people, uh, alcoholics that are in the park, and we have a third pastor, Pastor Tim, who gets to serve there along with our vicar. We had a vicar this year. Um, when I was, before you become a pastor, you're a vicar, so you're kind of like a, a pastor in training. So we've had Nick with us for quite some time, and he's been helping out with that, with that effort. But our goal is to create a network of congregations, a network of churches, to be a community church, to be in the neighborhood, so that people, when they're hungry, when they're thirsty, when, they're, when they need clothes, when they need physical needs, but most importantly, which is why it's so important to gather for church, to have people to go through life with together. The idea of community is essential. God tells us in Genesis chapter 1 that man was not created to be alone. It's not good for us to be alone. So being in community is absolutely essential. And so to create that, that mentality and to have that, that, and really embody that, we have three churches, and we're, uh, I joked before that we're trying to take over uh, the southwest Detroit area and try to put different churches, different congregations uh, in different places to, so that people have options. Options are good things. So that's kind of where, that's kind of our, our long-term vision. Uh, we're hoping that uh, at the end of the summer, early fall, we're going to have a Hispanic uh, missionary uh, called to the district to be in the southwest Detroit area, which is going to be huge. He's going to be working out of St. Stephen, which is going to be awesome. He's going to have a home base, and we're hoping that he's going to be able to create a, a Spanish-speaking congregation for those that are in our community. Upon doing some 
some, some talking and some working with a lot of, uh, a lot of our uh, families in the neighborhoods, you find out that there's a lot of people that have desires to go to church, but they don't want to go to a pastor like me who's white and doesn't speak much Spanish. They want to go to somebody that's familiar with their culture. They want to go to somebody that speaks their language, and that's beautiful. That's a wonderful thing. So we're making those active steps as, as partnering with the district, partnering with the Luke Clinic to be able to, to bridge those gaps and to bring Jesus to as many people as we can. So Miss Penny's going to be here, Penny Armbruster. She's here with her husband, Larry, and uh, they're going to be here uh, facilitating the, uh, or helping to facilitate the, the service project that you all are going to be helping out with afterward. Uh, the Luke Clinic has been in partnership with Family of God for almost, has it been almost six years? Almost six years. Uh, and, and really, at the end of the day, they're all about being there for, for women, being there for, for the children, and being there for the families and giving care to people who otherwise don't receive really good care. Um, so they're there two, twice a month, and they have mobile clinics that roll around the neighborhood as well. Uh, they have been absolutely fabulous for our, for our neighborhood, uh, bringing people, just showing the love of Christ to people who have probably never experienced much love and compassion and care in their entire lives. And to ensure healthy deliveries, to ensure mothers have, have other options, especially if they're really feeling scared and overwhelmed, that they can go to a clinic like this and be, and be empowered and be encouraged and be prayed for and be loved by the nurses and doctors that are there. So she's going to talk a little bit more about that uh, when in the time before we get started with the Luke Clinic, but both of us are going to be around afterward, uh, after service, during the servant event, and probably a little bit afterward. If you feel like you have questions or you want to come and talk to either one of us, we will be here and we will try to answer your questions to the best of our ability. So, Penny, would you just raise your hand so that everyone can see who you are? Thank you. Yes. So, good. All right. I would be remiss if I did not tell you about Jesus today. So, here we go. The text that I wanted to share with you is the, the story of the Good Samaritan. This is a, a text that, that I love. It's a text that Family of God is really founded upon uh, because of that great word that I've talked about before here many a times, that word compassion. That word compassion, which means that your guts hurt so much because you are so moved by the brokenness and the injustices that you see in this world that you cannot help but to serve. And so this is going to come up in this story. But before we do that, I wanted to talk about different, whoops, I went ahead once, questions. This looks like Jim. Jim Jensen, where are you at? Looks just like you. So questions. Our world is swirling with questions. I, I, I read online as I was preparing for this that studies show that children, how many children are here today? Children <coughs> ask their parents an average of 73 questions a day. So if you've only asked 50 this morning, you got 23, or uh, what is it? You got 23 left in uh, ready to go. And they're, question, they're, they're, they're basic questions, right? They're sweet, innocent questions. They're questions like, why do people die? What, where is the last cookie? How did I get here? How are babies formed, right? Those kinds of questions. Questions are everywhere. And adults are no different. Adults love to ask questions as well. I don't have all the statistics on the adult questions, but if you're anything like me and you're faced with choices every single day, every time you have a choice, you're faced with a question. Should I do this? Should I do that? Does this shirt look good with these pants? Should I use a nine iron or a pitching wedge? 
Should I go with the traffic or should I navigate to try to get to church faster? Should I hit the, the snooze or should I get up and get out of bed so I can go to Shepherd's Gate so that I can serve my neighbors? Right? We're full of questions. That has not changed over the course of thousands and thousands of years. We have not changed a single bit. In all of these questions, there's, there's one question that has stood the test of time since the beginning of the world, especially in Jesus' day. And that's this question here. We can talk about questions. We can talk about the, the innocence of different questions. But then you get to the bigger questions. And the one that I promise you that you have asked at some point in your life, whether it was just in your head or it was verbally asked out loud, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do to earn favor with God? What must I do to make sure that I have salvation and that I get to be in heaven with my loved ones? What must I do? We love to do this so much that we will stop at anything to give just a little bit of credit that we did something. Just anything. Because that's how we as humans are wired. Not only are we wired to ask questions, but we're wired to bend towards the law. We're obsessed with figuring out what we can do. If I do this, if I don't do this, if I vote this way, if I serve this person, if I love this person, if I go on a mission trip, if I serve this community or this in this servant event, will that get me eternal life? Will that get me in with God? The problem when we start to ask these questions, even when we even if we've accepted the fact that 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 we are saved by nothing but the grace of God in Christ Jesus, who gave Himself willingly for you and that your sins are forgiven, being cleansed in his blood, knowing that this gift of salvation is a free gift to you, we still like to say, well, I still have to do something. So then we choose words like, I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I chose to follow Jesus. I made the choice to repent, because then I did something to inherit eternal life. The problem, friends, with this when you start to wander down th these rabbit trails of what can I do to inherit eternal life, you've completely nullified and, dare I say, bastardized the gospel. Because the gospel does not have anything to do with what you did. The gospel has everything to do with what Jesus did for you on the cross. Rising again to give you eternal life. One of my favorite books of the Bible is the book of Galatians. Paul writes this about laws. He says, if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. In other words, friends, you are all prisoners to sin, and the only way to get out of this prison of sin is to be brought out by God. He comes into your prison. 
He breaks you out. He gives that to you. Notice that I didn't say you did anything. He does it for you. That's what the gospel is. What Christ did for you. And so when we look at this parable, we look at what the lawyer says to this, to kind of set up Jesus' parable here. And he says, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says to him, fine, you want to play this game? You want, to, well, you want me to answer this ridiculous question and give you a thought that you can inherit eternal life? He says, well, what is written? How do you read it? Well, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Friends, that's it. That's all you have to do to inherit eternal life. You want to know what the problem with this is? You don't do this. I don't do this. That's a problem. We have one job. Right? How does that meme go? Y'all have one job. And you can't do it. Because we are so stinking selfish with what we do, what we have, and what we give. And so, what this man says or what he, he gives the answer. Jesus says, you've answered correctly, you do this. And then it says, he, this is perfect, because this is so 2022, okay? Desiring to justify himself. He said to Jesus, who is my neighbor? I got the God stuff down. But who is my neighbor? Jesus, who qualifies for my love. Is it the people at the loop clinic? Is it the people at Family of God? Is it the people who vote Democrat? Is it the people who vote Republican? Is it MAGA nation? Is it the people who are running our country? Who qualifies for my love? Because I'm seeking a way so that I can do the things that I want to do and love the people that I want to love. And so Jesus decides to play his game. He says, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had, there's our favorite word, compassion. And he went to him. He bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And then the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? Now, this Jew doesn't, doesn't want to say the name of his sworn enemy. He doesn't want to say, well, the Samaritan man, because that would be utter blasphemy. He says, the one who showed him mercy. Jesus says, you go and do likewise. Full stop, as the kids would say. Mic drop. Go and do likewise. 
So what does this mean? What does this mean for us? Here's a picture of the Jericho Road. This is roughly, uh, it gives you an idea of the road that this man was traveling on. This is quite the journey for someone traveling from Jerusalem. In fact, it would have been about, what did I write down here? Number one, it was notoriously dangerous, but Jerusalem was also 2,500 feet above sea level. Or above, yeah, above sea level, and then traveling down, he would have had to travel almost three quarters of a mile. So he's traveling downward through these nooks and crannies where there would have been all kinds of people potentially waiting to rob him. A lot of hiding places for bandits and robbers, okay? So the people, when they hear this parable, they're not surprised to hear, well, a man is on Jericho Road and he was traveling by himself. Of course, of course he got robbed. That makes total sense. But then what doesn't make a whole lot of sense is that the first two people that see this man are priests and Levites. They're good church people. They're people who know what they have to do. They're people who worship God. They're people who, who you know, they, they, they spend time in the temple. They do their ritual sacrifices. They do the cleansing. They do the grunt work. They do all of these things. You might say that they're doing all these things to please God. They're doing what they're supposed to do. They check the boxes. But they come to this man, and the way that the original language here when it says that the priest came and saw the, saw the man on the side of the road, he's not just sidestepping him. It actually means that he saw him, and he goes the other way. And so that gets me thinking, number one, how often do we do that to people that we see that are, that are broken in some capacity? Okay, so there's one way to look at that. So either way, no matter what, the, the, what was going on, whether they were busy, whether they didn't want to get blood on themselves because they, they knew that if they went back to the temple, they'd have to ritually cleanse themselves, no matter what the cost is, the reason that neither one of these men stop this man is because it would have been a major inconvenience for them. And that's why they continue to go on. They find excuses to find something else to do. Got to get to where I'm going. I'm running late. And then the Samaritan comes by. And the reason that I have this picture up here is because this picture used to hang in Family of God for a really long time. He comes by, and he sees his sworn enemy. I think I mentioned this before. Jews and Samaritans absolutely hated each other. And not even just, like, I don't like this person, or I don't like that person. It was hatred, name-calling, saying that, that being with a Samaritan was like lying with a beast, calling him all different kinds of dirty names. That's what this was. So when this man sees him, and he says he has compassion, that gut-wrenching, we have to do something kind of love for our neighbors, when he sees him, he sees him broken, he sees him bleeding, he sees that he's probably struggling for breath, he acts. He acts upon his conviction to go and help his neighbor. Because everything that happens after this, they're all action words. He goes to him. He pours out oil and wine on him to cleanse his wounds. He takes him up and he puts him on his animal and he takes him to an inn for rest. And then he pays the innkeeper. These are all action words that he does for his enemy. And then when Jesus asks the lawyer, which one should you be, Mr. Lawyer? Mr. trying to find a loophole? 
trying to find out who is it that qualifies and who doesn't qualify for your love. And he says, well, it was that man. I guess it was the Samaritan. He says, you go and do likewise. Do exactly the same as this man. The problem oftentimes when we read parables like this, because we're so selfish and self-centered and narcissistic, where do I fit in this parable? Seriously. Have you ever read a parable and said, well, this is clearly about me? Where do I fit in here? If Jesus is talking a parable, he must be talking about me. Where do I fit in here? And we're back to square one. Where we're nullifying grace and we're nullifying mercy. Friends, what I want to encourage you today, when it comes to the story of the Good Samaritan or any other parable that Jesus tells, don't ask what it has to do with you. Ask what it has to do with Christ. Where is Jesus in this parable? Where is Jesus in this parable? Because for us, if we're looking at this parable trying to find ourselves, we're going to go, okay, the priest and the Levite, okay, you can do what, what I just said. Yeah, I've seen my neighbors on the side of the road, and I've just gone the other side. Oh, look at me. I, I, I made sure that I serve my neighbor. Yes, this is, a, this is a, a parable about morality, and I'm supposed to go and serve my neighbor. I had a friend one time that said that if you look at this parable, you are nothing more than the donkey that the that, that Samaritan uses to carry the broken person to the inn. If you want to really want to put yourself into this parable, you're the donkey. So what does it have to do with Jesus, though? There's two ways that I want you to consider this for this morning. The first way is probably a little bit more obvious. Jesus is your good Samaritan. Okay? Jesus is your good Samaritan. Jesus comes to you. Jesus binds up your wounds. Jesus pours out his body and his blood for you. Jesus takes you and t to his church, to his home, so that you can find rest and deliverance and restoration. And Jesus pays back everything that you owe. That's one way you can look at this parable. The other way that I want to challenge you this morning is that Jesus is not the Samaritan. He's not the priest or the Levite. He's certainly not the donkey. Jesus is the weary traveler. Jesus is the traveler who, traveling from the holiest of places, is beaten and stripped of everything, and not only left for dead, but is actually killed by his own people. Is killed by people like you and me, filled with selfish desire. And so, when this parable is told, and Jesus says, go and do likewise, what he's saying to us is be a neighbor to Jesus. Align yourself with Jesus. Seek Jesus. Because he has done everything for you. And friends, what he did for you is died for you. So that you can stand before the Father forgiven of all of your sins. So that when, upon his rising, you get to rise to new life. Friends, that's what Jesus does for you. That's where we place our hope. That's where we trust. 
That's what he did to give us eternal life. And so I boldly say to you, as we look at this picture and contemplate what Jesus did for us, this is the same picture that sits on the, on the, the back alley wall at Family of God, so that when everybody comes in, they see this picture to remind them that Jesus, in utter and complete darkness, died for you. As soon as you start to think that the things that you do, the service events that you do, are to earn God's favor, this means nothing. It means nothing. Because there is nothing else that you need to do. Your debt has been paid. Your sins are forgiven. It's all been done for you. Friends, Jesus, God, God doesn't need your service event today. He doesn't need your social media posts. He doesn't need your big celebrations. He's already done everything. And now when we align ourselves to him, when he comes to us and says, you are my friend, you are my child, and I love you, our natural response then is to go and do these things, is to go and do likewise. Because you have been claimed by God. And our service to our neighbors is nothing more than a fruit of what has first been given to us. So it is very good that we're serving today. Because when you serve your neighbors, guess who you're really serving? You're serving Jesus, who gave his life for you. Your sins are forgiven. You are restored to the Father. Friends, you are justified before God. That's why we serve. Don't ever forget that. Would you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, we give you thanks. Lord, we thank you that you have given us everything. Lord, when we, when we come to you and we, we try to justify our own way, when we, we seek for excuses and loopholes to try to figure out who is it, Lord, that qualifies for our love. Lord, you tell us <laughs> that we never qualified, but you still loved us, that you qualified us. Lord, as we go and we serve today, whether it's here serving the loop clinic, or we go out into our neighborhoods, we go out into our other service projects, and we pray that we would always remember that we are not doing this for you. We're not doing this to to earn favor with you. We're not doing this to accumulate merit points. Lord, we are simply doing this because of the love that you first showed to us. And Lord, it is you who was working through us. And when we serve our neighbors, Lord, we're not just serving them, but we're serving you. Be with us today and always as we too go and do likewise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.